Okay, church, go ahead and open up your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 16. And preschoolers, those going to the preschool class, you are dismissed. Next week, we will complete and conclude this series in Romans, which we started about a year and a half ago. Um, we'll then, uh, just so you know where we're headed sermon-wise, we're then going to have a couple of standalone sermons in May. And then in June, we will start preaching through the Ten Commandments. And I know the Ten Commandments are, are familiar to you, and, and most Christians are aware of them. Um, but I think most Christians don't know, and there's maybe some confusion as to how we now relate with the Ten Commandments. And, and so I, what I want us to see as we walk through these commandments is I want us to learn more about the heart of our God who gave these commandments. And so as we go through them, we're going to learn more about the heart of God. We're also going to learn more about the heart of humanity and uh, the, the, hum, the human heart and the sin that still exists in it. Um, and then we'll see as we walk through these commands how these commands lead us to Christ and how Christ frees us to enjoy living according to God's word. And so I'm excited for that. We'll, that'll take us through the summer. And then in the fall, we will start into the next book of the Bible that we will be uh, preaching through. But today, Romans 16, starting in verse 17, is where we are at. Paul is, is closing out his letter to the Roman church with a word of warning and a word of assurance. Okay, so that's how we'll outline the sermon this morning. Two points, a word of warning and a word of assurance. And he gives this word of warning and this word assurance of assurance to the Roman church, to the Christians in Rome, who because of what he teaches us here, we could also call snake crushers. Snake crushers, which is the title of this morning's sermon, Snake Crushers. Now, I realize that some of you might resonate more with that this morning, the, the snake-crushing aspect that Christians are to be about. And so where, where are all the, the future men, the boys? Let, let me have the future men stand up if you are a boy. If you are, if you are 17 or younger, I would consider you a future man. So let's have you stand up in the front row, future men. Okay, the, the, the sermon was titled Snake Crushers with you in mind. I figured you guys would resonate the most with that, right? There's something in you that desires to crush, to conquer, um, to, to, to wrestle, to fight, to get after it, to, 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 to go on battles and to protect and to fight. And, 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 and listen, I want you to hear me that that is a good God-given thing that he has given you. And it is our responsibility to see that that, is, that energy is channeled in the right direction to serve Christ. Because that energy can be used to serve evil, but it is also meant, it is, it is mainly meant to be used to, to, to serve Christ and for good. And so we don't want to squelch that. We don't want to quench that. We want to, to see that stirred up in you. And all the Christians can be called snake crushers. Men and women are called snake crushers. But you, young men, and you future men, are the ones that really need to lead us in that charge. We need that youthful energy and zeal, okay? So when I have to step over you in the hallway, two of you wrestling, okay? Uh, listen, our hallways are probably not the best places for wrestling. You know, they're very narrow. 
but I love the energy. I love the energy. So let me, uh, I wasn't planning to do this. Julia, you've got a future man in there. So come on, stand up with me, with us. All right. Uh, I wasn't planning to do this, but I think we're going to pray for the sermon. We're going to pray for our future men and our young men in here as well. All right, so let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and as we, as we read it and preach it and proclaim it and hear it, Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit to empower this. We need your truth to take deep root in our heart. We need you to protect and guard against the enemy sweeping this away and twisting this. And so, Lord, I ask, God, that you would um, show us the, the truth of Romans 16 here, and that it would take deep root in our heart. And Lord, I ask for these future men in here, God, that you would protect them and that you would guard them and that you would, God, stir up in them a, a righteous energy and courage and strength, that you would stir up in them a, a right and good desire to protect and to fight the enemy and to, um, to see, Lord, um, the gospel go forth into this world. Oh, Lord, may you give them courage for the days ahead. May they stir up in all of us, God, that, that energy and that zeal that you want us to have. May you protect them and guard them from seeing that energy go down destructive pathways or pathways that are not of you. And may you keep them walking, Lord, according to your ways in service of the Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. <clears throat> Now, the reason that Christians can be called snake crushers is because of what is written in Romans 16, verse 20. Paul says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later on as we get to that as to what that all means. But one truth that is underlying this truth, the truth of the, that verse, Romans 16, 20, is the truth of our union with Christ. That by grace, through faith, we are united to Christ. We are in Christ. We are his body now. And therefore, to see the enemy put under the feet of Christ is the same as seeing the enemy put under the feet of the church. For we have been united to Christ. We are in him. And it was the good news that was first proclaimed back in Genesis chapter 3. That's when the gospel, the good news, was first proclaimed for God gave us news that a snake crusher would come. When God cursed the serpent and made him the enemy of humanity, he also promised a coming conqueror that would come and crush him. And God said in Genesis 3, verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When Jesus Christ came to earth, we saw that he was the promised one of Genesis 3.15. He was the promised one that would come and crush the head of the serpent. But what we've seen is that his crushing of Satan has come in stages. The crushing of Satan has come in stages. It started when, when, first Je when Jesus comes to earth and the enemy tempts him in the wilderness. And unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus res resisted temptation by the word of God. 
His crushing of Satan continues as he started delivering people from being demonized. He then gave this same authority to his apostles and sent them out, and they started pushing back the kingdom of darkness as well. But the most decisive blow to the enemy came on the cross where he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Three days later, he rose from the dead and eventually ascended into heaven, and the Father exalted him far above every rule and authority, far above all powers and dominions, and he put all things under his feet. And yet there is another stage to this crushing of Satan before his final and complete defeat. And that is now being carried out through the life of his body, the church. And it is those snake crushers now in the church that the Apostle Paul has a word of warning for and a word of assurance. A word of warning and a word of assurance. We must understand that the crushing of Satan is coming in stages if we are to understand these verses rightly. Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead, he did defeat the enemy. It was the decisive blow to the head. But evil still does wound and cause hurt and pain in this world. Evil is still wreaking havoc in this world, if you haven't noticed. But the death blow has already been given by Christ. And maybe this illustration will help you understand better a bit the time that we are in. It's one I've shared before a few years ago, so some of you might remember this. It's about missionaries who were working out in a remote part of the jungle, and one day an enormous snake slithers into their house, right in the front door, right into their kitchen. They, they find this huge snake in their house. They don't know what to do. They're terrified. They run outside. They search for a neighbor who can maybe help them out, who knows how to handle a situation like this. A neighbor with a machete comes to their rescue, walks in, and calmly marches into the kitchen, and with one clean swipe, decapitates the snake. The neighbor reemerges triumphantly and gives the missionaries a word of assurance that the reptile had been defeated. But there was a catch. He also had to give them a word of warning that it was going to take a while for the snake to realize it was dead. You see, a snake's neurology and blood flow are such that it can take a considerable amount of time to stop moving and thrashing even after decapitation. And so for the next several hours, the missionaries were forced to wait outside their home while the snake thrashed about, smashing furniture, flailing against walls and windows, wreaking havoc until its body finally understood that it no longer had a head. And the missionaries, they felt frustrated by this, a little sickened by this, but they were grateful, knowing that the snake's rampage would not last forever. And at some point in their waiting, they came to the realization that, the, that our enemy, Satan, is a lot like that snake. He's already been defeated. And yet, in the meantime, there's still some thrashing and damage and havoc he's going to cause we are still living in the thrashing time, church. And Paul is going to call us to put our feet on the thrashing snake and stomp him. And so snake crushers, hear this word of warning and hear this word of assurance. Look with me at Romans 16, verse 17. God's word says, I appeal to you, brothers, brothers, 
to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Paul has a word of warning to the snake crushers in Rome. He tells them to watch out for those who cause divisions and those who create obstacles contrary to the truth that they have been taught. He says to avoid these people. Now, to clarify, Paul is not talking about those we learned about in Romans 14. Do you guys remember back to Romans 14, where we talked about uh, believers having differing opinions over matters of conscience, over matters of of, uh, theological secondary and tertiary doctrines? He's not talking about that here. He's not talking about the debates and discussions that Christians have been having over the last 2,000 years over some difficult theological truths. No, Paul here is concerned about false teachers and false teaching creeping into the church. He's he's seen it happen in other churches. He's seen it happen in Corinth, and he's concerned that this is going to come into the church in Rome as well. Because even though he knows that Jesus dealt Satan the decisive blow to the head, he knows that we are still living in the thrashing time. And so he wants the church to watch out. He wants them to be on guard. He wants them to to be on guard for false teachers and for those who would come into the church and teach truth that is contrary to the scriptures, contrary to the doctrine, contrary to the doctrine we've, we've heard, contrary to the gospel. Watch out for those who would seek to divide the church and set its members against each other. Watch out. Watch out for people who would create obstacles to put in the way of people knowing the Lord. There will be people who who put obstacles in front of other people in coming to and knowing the Lord more. And there will be people in the church who in a similar way to the Pharisees of Jesus' day will add their own rules and regulations on top of God's word, on top of the gospel, and will make it more difficult and seemingly impossible for people to come to know the Lord. But they'll do it because it gives them power and control over those people. Paul says, watch out for those people. They're in the church. They're in our church. These people have taken the energy and the fight that was supposed to be directed at the enemy in service of Christ, and they have directed it and turned in on themselves. They've turned in on us. They've directed that energy instead to the service of self, not the service of Christ. The energy that was supposed to be directed at our enemy too often gets turned on one another. And Paul tells us to watch out for these people. He gives us a glimpse now into their heart and their motivation. He he shows us what motivates these people. He says, these people, they might appear religious on the outside, but they are not motivated and driven by a desire to serve Jesus, but instead their own appetites. 
That's their motivation. Their own desires, their own wants, their own cravings. They're not going about their days living and, and directing their energy and their fight towards serving Christ. No, they're, they're, they're directing their energy towards what serves them. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So watch out, church. The serpent's thrashing time is still at hand. And one of the ways that he seeks to wreak havoc in the world, one of the ways he seeks to wreak havoc in the church and in our homes and in our hearts is through false teaching creeping in. And this false teaching does not typically look scary and evil at first. No, it comes into homes and it captures hearts through smooth talk and flattery, through telling people what they want to hear, through telling people what they they really want to be true, through telling people what their appetites are craving. And it looks and it sounds so nice at first. It's the truth, but it's just twisted a little. And it deceives the hearts of the naive. Proverbs 1, 32 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. You see, we're getting a warning here. We're getting a warning so that we should be awakened from complacency, right? A word of warning to snake crushers. Don't be complacent about your snake crushing. Church, awake from your complacency. Yes, praise God that Jesus crushed the serpent's head, but the snake is still thrashing. And the serpent will thrash at times against the church through persecution and through murderous endeavors. We see the snake thrashing at times and seasons and in places like that. But in other times, the serpent will thrash by means of deception, by means of smooth talk and flattery, by means of giving us all of our comforts and causing us to grow complacent through popular preachers who have strayed from the truth or just twisted the truth just a bit. This is a way that the snake has been thrashing in the church. The snake has been thrashing in the church. Through the allure of sexual immorality and pornography, men are being deceived into thinking that sexual pleasure outside of God's will is better than sexual pleasure according to God's will in the covenant of marriage. The snake's been deceiving. The snake's been thrashing in the hearts and minds of men and taking their strength that was supposed to be used to fight him. The snake has been thrashing in the church through social media influencers deceiving the hearts of women. The snake's been thrashing. Now, while men are typically deceived in their, power for, in their desire for power and respect and pleasure, they'll be prone to believe things if they think it will give them one of those. Women are typically deceived in their desire for protection, safety, and love. And they'll be prone to believe if they think it will give them one of those. The snake has been thrashing in the church. 
through media and through education, the hearts of our kids can become deceived as well. Things that creep in and cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the truth. The snake has been thrashing. And men and young men and future men, you must take the lead on this when you hear about an enemy thrashing amongst people that you love. One of the ways you demonstrate your love for God and for his people is by protecting them. And not only protecting them from the thrashing snake, but if you really love someone, you'll protect them even from themselves. You'll protect them from the sin that is in their own heart. One of my favorite Christmas songs, really just songs in general, is, is Hark the Herald, written by John Wesley and George Whitfield. One of the last verses that is not always sung, but it should be. It says, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Second Adam from above. Reinstate us in thy love. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Bruise through us the serpent's head. And bruise in us the serpent's head. The sin that still exists, that, that serves ourselves, that serves Satan instead of that serves Christ. You see, Paul is wanting us to watch out for false teachers and false teaching. But he goes on to say in this passage that he wants us to be wise to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Because he knows that the lies and deception of the enemy, the thrashing of the snake, can have an even greater effect when combined with our own sinful desires. Jesus can say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, not because he believes Satan has possessed Peter, but because the way Peter was thinking and what Peter was saying was playing along with the scheme of the enemy. His misguided words were at that time serving Satan in that moment more than serving Christ. And Paul is giving us a word of warning and saying, do not be complacent about the false teachers out there. Do not be complacent about the false teaching that can creep in here. But also do not be complacent about the sin that still exists in here. Watch out. Men and women, watch out. Kids, a point of application for you here is do not believe everything that you hear. Because the snake is thrashing. You will hear teaching from people in the world that it is not true. Proverbs 14.15 says, The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. So we must be discerning when we hear teaching. We must not be complacent in what we are consuming and letting into our hearts and minds and into our homes and into our church. And God in this passage is so gracious that he gives us some valuable questions to ask here to, to help test for false teaching, okay? So he, he doesn't just say, watch out, and then good luck. 
No, he gives us some clues into as, as how we can discern. What questions can we ask to test whether or not something is false teaching, whether or not it's going to divide and, and, and cause obstacles, put obstacles in our way? And the first test question we can ask when we come across teaching or, or anything that we're hearing or consuming is, is does it agree with Scripture? Which sounds like maybe a really basic one that maybe you already are asking yourself as you are practicing discernment with things that you are consuming and reading and listening to and, and hearing. But it has to be stated. Does it agree with Scripture? Because Paul tells us to watch out for doctrine being taught that does not agree with Scripture, what we already know in Scripture. And so we should be asking ourselves, is, is what I'm listening to, does what I'm listening to agree with Scripture. And just by asking that question itself is really helpful and really brings wisdom. Now, this doesn't mean that you can only listen to things that agree with Scripture, but it means that when you're listening to things that don't agree with Scripture, your mind is not complacent and you are actively recognizing that this doesn't agree with Scripture. And so you're able then to cultivate a heart of wisdom and to be able to discern good and evil. This is a way that you watch for it. It doesn't mean that you can't consume media or other things that are, that are uh, not specifically Christian or even are, are against what the Scripture teaches us. But if you do choose to consume those things, you are not complacent, but you are mentally aware that this is not in line with what God's Word tells us the truth is. And if you're able to decipher that, then you're able to talk your kids through that as well. And they're able to start to grow in wisdom and not be naive, not be simple. I remember going to uh, my public uh, high school science class. And my parents had prepared me. I was prepared to know that there were certain topics, especially in regards to the origins of life, that were going to be taught that would not be in accordance with Scripture. And so I had my guard up. I knew that that was the case. I was able then to discern truth from error. So kids, don't take for granted everything everyone would teach you, but look to the scriptures. Look to the scriptures. Is what you are hearing, does this, does this, does this align with what we already know is true from God's word? Now, this is good even for those of you who, who homeschool, right? Now, I don't know why you would pick curriculum that doesn't agree with Scripture or exalt Christ, but if you do, at least make sure you and your kids know the parts that don't agree with Scripture and why you don't agree with this and, and, and help them be able to reason and understand and see the truth through that. When we are evaluating any teaching or media or educational resources, we must not be complacent about it. We must test it. We must be actively engaged. Does it agree with Scripture? The second question we should ask is, does this exalt Jesus? Does this exalt Jesus? Because watch out, church, if it doesn't exalt Jesus. There are a lot of Bible teachers out there that do not exalt Jesus. There is a lot of teaching out there that, that teaches throughout all of Scripture but doesn't see how all of Scripture exalts Christ. The false teachers that Paul says are, are 
we are to watch out for. He says that they are not servants of Jesus. Instead, they are servants of self and ultimately servants of Satan. And there are plenty of teachers and ways to appear religious and even use the Bible that do not ultimately exalt Jesus. If the podcast that you are listening to is exalting you more than it is, it is exalting Jesus, watch out. Be on guard. I'm not saying you can't listen to it, but be on guard. If the book you are reading is exalting you more than it is exalting Jesus, be on guard. Watch out. If your teacher is exalting good morals and polite manners more than they are exalting Jesus, watch out. Be on guard. This is how we become wise and not become naive. Does this exalt Jesus? The third question to ask is, does this promote what is good and what is wise? Does this teaching promote goodness as the Bible would define goodness? Or does it teach something that might provide fleeting pleasure, but inevitably leads to more death and destruction and chaos and havoc in the world? Does it lead to the church crushing evil more or to evil wreaking more havoc? And so we are warned, watch out for false teaching, church. The snake is thrashing. May we grow in wisdom and discernment. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it exalt Jesus? Does it promote what is good, as the Bible defines goodness? And so here we have, snake crushers, we have received our word of warning. But sometimes with just a word of warning and only a word of warning, we can get worked up and prone to fear about it, can't we? I remember growing up when we lived out in California, we would go on a, a hiking trail or just be walking in a park, maybe even be in a very populated, busy area, and we'd come across those signs that said, beware of rattlesnakes. We were told that if we moved to Indiana, the cost of living would be lower and we'd be rid of rattlesnakes. However, rattlesnakes have followed us here, it seems. But you see that sign, and, and, and maybe it's good to be warned by it, but it does start to stir up in you a bit, a bit of fear about the rattlesnakes, doesn't it? Makes you start to be a little bit more timid in going down a trail. But God is so good. Not only does he give us a word of warning, but he accompanies it with a word of assurance. So look with me now at Romans 16, verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Notice that it is the God of peace who will soon crush Satan under the feet of the church. It might seem at first that speaking of God as the God of peace in the same sentence that you say he will soon crush Satan, it might seem that those two things don't go together. Like, can he really be the God of peace and the God of war? Well, yes, in fact, because peace will only come through God making war on the enemy of our souls. God did not start the cosmic war, but he is going to finish it. 
And therefore, it is because he is the God of peace that he must make war against the serpent. It is because he is the God of peace and he intends to restore the shalom of Eden that the snake and our sin must be dealt with. Psalm 110, verse 1. It is the most quoted Old Testament text in the New Testament. That's a fun little trivia fact for you if you ever find yourself in a weird Bible trivia game. Sounds like a fun time. I don't know. But it's not often the verse that we would think of that would be the most quoted one in the New Testament. But the writers of the New Testament had this verse most in mind as they quoted the Old Testament scriptures. And that is, it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Paul reiterates this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This is a word of assurance, church that our God is a God of peace and that he is restoring this peace through making war on the serpent. It is through the conquest of Christ and through the proclamation of the gospel and and calling people to repentance and faith that the peace of God is experienced more and more on this earth. This is a word of assurance to snake crushers everywhere and at all times. The crushing of Satan is ultimately accomplished by the power of God. He will surely do it. This crushing of Satan, it involves us, but it does not depend upon us. Oh, but church, it does involve us. Because the God of peace, all by his grace, empowers us to play a part in Christ's conquest over evil. Satan is being crushed in stages. The Roman church in the first century had a part to play in crushing the thrashing snake. And we have a part to play in this as well. Well, how does God continue to crush the thrashing snake under our feet? One way God continues to crush the thrashing snake is when we resist temptation like Jesus did in the wilderness. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Put evil on the run by resisting temptation. Crush the part of the thrashing snake that God's given you to crush by resisting temptation, by relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. And when you resist, the enemy will run. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we as a church and we as individuals resist temptation. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we speak truth instead of speaking lies. Satan, which is a name that means the adversary, the enemy, he is the father of lies. He loves when we lie. 
When we lie, we are playing into his schemes. But evil is pushed back and crushed when we speak the truth in love to one another, when we speak the truth in love to ourselves. God continues to crush the thrashing snake. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we choose to live in community with one another as opposed to isolating ourselves from one another. The enemy loves to see us isolated. And I thought this was really interesting for those of you that were at the National Day of Prayer. You know Dr. Dano, a representative from Johnson Memorial, he was there. And we were asking him, you know, how can we be praying for the medical community? And the thing he was most concerned about was that there is an epidemic of loneliness in our community. That's what he asked for us to pray about, the epidemic of loneliness. The thrashing snake seeks to isolate us. The thrashing snake seeks for us to divide and divorce and distance ourselves from one another. But when we open our homes, when we open our hearts, when we open our schedules, and when we pursue community and fellowship with one another, evil is pushed back and our feet stomp down on the thrashing snake. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we choose to live in community with one another. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we forgive as we've been forgiven. The thrashing snake does so much havoc in our lives when coupled with our sinful hearts, we refuse to forgive as we have been forgiven. But church, Christ has won our freedom to forgive. We've been redeemed from the slavery of unforgiveness. By the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now forgive as we've been forgiven and watch the enemy turn and run. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we forgive one another. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we choose to love our neighbor instead of be envious of them. Or instead of hate them, when we repent of our angry, murderous hearts and instead choose to love, the snake is crushed a little bit more. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we obey the command to fill the earth and subdue it. A newborn baby's cry is like a slap to the enemy's face. That is a quote from my wife from the dinner table last night. It was good. It's a good quote. We didn't make a slide for it. She didn't want the recognition, but she's not in here right now, so there it is. A newborn baby's cry is like a slap to the enemy's face because the enemy hates when more image bearers of God are being born into this world. The enemy hates new life coming about and wants to do everything he can to stop it. But may we rejoice when we hear the blessing of these babies cry in our midst and when we gather to worship and in our homes and in our city groups, it is one of the many ways that God is crushing the enemy under our feet. God continues to crush the thrashing snake through, the, through big things in life, through, through snake crushers giving up their lives and being martyred for the sake of Christ. This is certainly a part of it, of God crushing the snake under our feet. But God also continues to crush the thrashing snake through the little things, 
through the everyday decisions, when we can say no to sin and yes to God because of his spirit who has empowered us to do so. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when men decide to give their energy to not serve themselves, but to serve in Christ's fight against the enemy. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when a woman chooses to believe that the most important feeling she experiences is not how she feels about herself, but how she feels about God. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we gather to pray. The enemy does not want to see his opposition call in the air support. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we are able to help one another discern the truth of God's word. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we help one another learn how to exalt Christ in all areas of life. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when we are able to discern and speak up as to what is good and what is evil. God continues to crush the thrashing snake when the complacent become diligent, when the simple become wise, when the scoffers become silent, and when the proud become humbled. And so know this, church. God allows us to be involved in the crushing of Satan all by his grace. All because of the grace, all because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with us. And listen, church, God will one day definitively crush and destroy and cast away our enemy once and for all. What a word of assurance we have. He's given us a word of warning. Beware of the thrashing snake. But in this word of assurance, he has told us, hey, I, I know you just, I just gave you the sign, beware of snakes, but this one has been defanged. This one, there's nothing can, he can do to harm your soul. And so fear not. Be confident in Christ. The time of thrashing will not last forever. And in Christ, we will play a part in bringing it to an end. I came across the illustration of this as I was reading in Joshua. And I think it's a good image for us to stick with us as we try to remember the truth of Romans 16. And this was in the time when Joshua is leading God's people through the conquest of the promised land. And it's found in Joshua 10, which we'll have up on the screen. It's, it's after Joshua has defeated the Amorites and the five kings are being brought out of the cave to be executed. And in Joshua 10, 24, it says, And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Church, a greater conqueror than Joshua has come. Joshua was a shadow of the true conquest of Christ, which has not come to just a small strip of land, but has come to the entire world. And God has called us to put our feet on the thrashing snake and be strong and courageous. 
But he has not called us to conquer with swords and tanks. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. No, we do not conquer with swords and tanks. We conquer by proclaiming the blood of the Lamb. We will conquer by calling people to repentance and faith. We will conquer because we are in Christ. We will conquer by giving up our lives. And we will be snake crushers because the grace of the ultimate snake crusher is with us. And so, snake crushers, be warned. The time of thrashing is still here. Do not grow complacent or give your strength to wrong pursuits. Watch out for false teachers and false teaching. In what you hear, is it in line with Scripture? Does it exalt Jesus? Does it promote what is good? But even with that word of warning, do not let the thrashing snake cause you to fear. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, church. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray.